0: Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now here's Pastor Stephen Albee. Well, welcome to Crosswinds Church. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you. It is a privilege that I greatly enjoy. And uh, this is a subject that I'm Really excited about, hopefully I get excited about every subject that I have the opportunity to teach. But what I really enjoy about this is is one um, as the father of a newborn, um, I know what it is like for someone to worship the Lord into the wee hours of the night. I know what it is like for someone to cry out in the songs of her people, and some of you know too, and as we said in the first service. When my wife and Skylar were here, um, I mentioned that she would probably be joining in worship, and and she didn't. She chose to sleep. But it was in between services that she chose to start worshiping the Lord in fullness. And uh, that is why uh, she and my wife are now enjoying worship time at home. Um, But in the same way, I totally understand that the Lord put wiggles into children, um, that God created them to. uh, speak at inappropriate times or what feels like inappropriate times. He created them to be loud. He created them to cry. So I just want you guys to know that. We love having kids in the service with us. If for some reason you feel like it's distracting for you or, or you need to take care of your child, that's why we have uh, the chairs in the back. But honestly, I don't mind. I actually just consider it worship. And I just ask that most of you don't join in when babies start to worship, even if you know the words, um, that you would let them worship the Lord Uh, on their own. No, I'm kidding. Um, What we're going to be talking about today is worship. And what got me thinking about worship, and what got me thinking about just different aspects of this, was last January... As some of you know, we took a group of students to Impact. Now, Impact is this awesome conference that the EFCA puts on that has maybe seven to 800 students um, and leaders all together from the central district. So we get churches from all over Iowa. We get some from uh, Minnesota and Nebraska. And what's amazing to me, which shows how good of a conference this is, is that there are churches that aren't even affiliated with the EFCA that just show up. And uh, we're actually partnered with one of them because... Uh, The uh, youth pastor uh, from one of those churches actually grew up in EFCA, and he wanted to join us with some of his kids. It was great. And let me kind of set the scene for you here, because these conferences are an amazing place. They're an amazing place because you get this chance to get everyone together. You get everyone in this phenomenal atmosphere of worship. They organize everything really well. Usually they take over the bottom floor of a, uh, a big hotel, and everyone stays there, and everyone worships there, and everyone, it's just a... Great time. The speaker, Greg Speck, was amazing. I don't know if you guys know about Greg, but he kind of looks like Droopy Dog, and, I'm, and he's the one who actually said that, so don't think I'm insulting him in any way. But he looks like he's going to be kind of quiet, he's going to be kind of you know, slow like with his speech. like Again, just the way you think of Droopy. And he gets up there, and this guy has more energy than I do. I don't get it. Um, maybe he just drinks more coffee than I do, which, again, I can't understand how that's possible right now. But he uh, did an f- amazing job. The worship team did an amazing job, but what stuck out to me most was this. When Greg offered this time on Saturday nights, most of the time at Impact, there's this time where we all gather together, worship's a little bit more intense, and we have this opportunity to uh, have students give their life to Christ, to accept his offer of salvation. And every speaker kind of does things different. What Greg chose to do is he chose to have uh, all the students go and and reconcile with one another if there needed to be reconciliation, and the leaders as well. He had them sit and have a time of prayer. He shared the gospel very clearly and articulately. But then, instead of asking students to either raise their hands or, or stand up or maybe silently go to one of their leaders to let them know if they had made a decision to follow Christ or if they had chosen to rededicate their life to Christ, he said this, He said, we are now going to enter into a time of worship. He said, for some of you, you've just been singing songs. But now, you have the opportunity to worship. You see, for Greg, the difference between becoming a Christian and not being a Christian wasn't a raised hand or a checked box. For him, it was now the ability to worship. It was given the opportunity to worship God in fullness. And I thought this was profound And I love this because it's a question not just for those who just recently became Christians. It is a question for each and every one of us today. Are you just singing songs, or are you worshiping? Are you just singing songs, or are you truly worshiping? So as I started to think about worship, I started to come up with a bunch of questions. I started to think, first of all, as I researched and as I read all these different sources and different books, I noticed that they all focus so much on the actions Of worship, and I I started to wonder why do we differ so much on these actions? Why is it that every article I read or every book I got into started talking about like the specifics of how God is worshipped in different regions or throughout time? Why is it that God doesn't like does God have a way that He prescribes us to worship? Does He want us to worship Him in an exact way across all time and across all culture? And then I wondered too, like why on earth? Why do we gather every week to worship together? Why do we listen to sermons? Why is it so easy to see worship as something we do rather than how I understand it as something we are? Now, while I can't even begin to cover these questions in the detail they deserve, my hope is that this is going to be a primer for you. My hope is that we're going to raise the questions and we're going to talk through what it looks like to not do worship but to be worshipers. What does it look like for us not to focus on the actions of worship but on the life of worship. And through this, my hope is that our worship times on Sundays, Wednesdays, small group time, whatever aspect you find yourself involved in worship, I hope it becomes deeper for you. I hope that you find God in a way you may have never found him before. You experience his presence in a way you've never experienced him before. And ultimately, I hope that our entire lives would become worship to our triune God. Now, our text this morning is the entire Bible. So I really hope you guys got your coffee, you went to the bathroom, and you are ready to go because the doors are locked, and we're going to sit here from Genesis, and we're going to go all the way through it, we're going to see what life is worship looks like. Amen. Amen. Come on. I know they're serving lunch over there, but they've got warming trays. We'll be fine. I'm kidding. You'll get food. It's all right. Um, now, before you g- <laughs> yeah amen, right Now, before you guys think that this is just going to be a pointless academic exercise, some of you, especially my you know students who hang out with me on Wednesdays a lot, know me, and you 're like, "Oh my gosh, pastor Steven's going to talk about worship he 's such a nerd he 's going to sit here and make this a pointless academic exercise i 'm hoping that 's not the case. If I do, you guys will look at me funny and i 'll try to rein it in. But before you also start to say, well okay i 'm not really into like, analyzing all the different aspects of worship i don 't really want." I don't really know if that's going to feel like a sermon to me and you just check out and you start scanning through Snapchat or Facebook or whatever on your phone while you're pretending to be reading. You know who you are. Seriously, that light on your face is pretty obvious. It's not the radiance of the Holy Spirit. I know what you're doing. Even with all the lights up, that's when it's kind of fun to have the lights a little lower and it's like, okay, yeah, illumination, illumination. Before you do all that, I want to talk about why it's so important to not focus on the aspects and the the individual actions of worship. Because what happens is, is when we start talking about these, we miss the heart of worship. And there's a really good book, it's called Exploring the Worship Spectrum, it's by a man named Paul Baston, and I think he just has a great way to put this as he looks at the history of worship. So he says this, Throughout Christian history, public worship has attracted attention, stimulated discussion, and even provoked contention. Christ followers have debated over controversial issues like when and whom to baptize, how to observe Holy Communion, and how often and how long to preach, only to watch those debates degenerate into rancorous fights and full-blown schisms. For example, Eastern and Western churchmen fought over the role of icons in the church. Icons are artifacts or artwork that's used to help guide worship. They fought over this so strongly that they eventually divided Christendom completely. It's a division that actually exists to this day between Eastern Orthodox and Western Christianity. Looking a little further along in history, we see Calvinists killed Anabaptists over the baptism question. We see that Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli split over the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Interestingly enough, they would both disagree with us today. And Puritans separated from Anglicans over the priority of the preached word. Now, while I'm pretty sure that none of you are going to start fighting over one another about how we worship, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably been in a church where that has actually happened. Maybe it wasn't a physical confrontation, but I know I've been a part of churches where they started talking about what instruments we should use for worship. They started talking about how long a pastor should preach. They started talking about these things and instead of keeping it as this nice conversation, like Paul Baston talks about, it quickly devolved into fights, and some people left the the local church, and some people have even left the faith over these issues. Problem is, though, is that even those conversations miss what I believe God wants us to be as worshipers. Those are important things to think about, and yes, you want to find how you connect to God best. You want to find the way that you worship God the best, but when we start making that the focus, we miss out on what God truly wants for us as worshipers. Now I'm not going to go through the why behind everything we do on a Sunday morning. I believe that that's actually best saved for our membership class or other conversations. We'd be happy to talk to you about it and it's all written out in the EFCA statements of faith and everything else. It's, it's there for you. We'd love for you to talk about it. But I think today what we need to look at more is what it looks like to be a, have a life of worship. I'm going to leave the actions and how that plays out up to you. There are actually numerous surveys out there on how you connect with God. For example, some people connect with God through going up to the mountains or some people connect to God going to the lake or to the ocean. Some people, I, I'm not sure why, connect to God by going to the desert. That's neat. Um, I'm not a desert person. I guess the Grand Canyon's in the desert, so I guess it's pretty neat, but I'm more of a mountain person. And it's amazing to see how like, different people find that connection with God. Some people connect to God more through reading theology, some people would rather cut off their foot than read a theology book. Some people would rather worship God through song. Some people would rather worship God through hearing his word preached. All of these things are great, but what they all should do is point us to worship. And when we start saying that one is better than another, or we start saying that only one can be used to worship God at the expense of others, then we start to cause divisions within ourselves that the Lord doesn't want. And the reason I say this is because Scripture never explicitly tells us what we need to do in every situation. All through God's holy word, we see different cultures and we see different people at different times worship the Lord differently. Now there are things we can take from them, but ultimately what we see is how to live a worshipful life. So I want to look at a few examples together on what does it look like to live a life of worship? You guys thought I was kidding, but we're starting in Genesis. Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, we actually see the first example of humanity worshiping God. We see the first example of man worshiping the Lord. It says this The man gave names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed its place up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God took out of the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now I know in the way that I've put it in your bulletins you don't see what happens in our Bibles when when the man starts talking it splits it up into different stanzas. And it's because when Adam first saw Eve, he wasn't thinking, oh, neat, that's another creature. That's pretty cool. No, he was so overwhelmed with thankfulness to the Lord that he finally found someone who he could connect with, that he finally found somebody who was like him, but could compliment him and was different than him, that he burst into song. It's actually written like a song. It's the first example of mankind praising the Lord through song. And I think it's amazing. This is like Disney style. You know, as soon as the woman shows up, Adam just starts singing. I don't know the last time I ever was like overwhelmed with thankfulness and wanted to burst into song. But for some of us, that happens. And for Adam, it happened when he first saw Eve. And I love this example because it's not the only time we see thankfulness to God resulting in worship. In the Exodus, when Pharaoh and his armies were finally defeated, we have an entire chapter of scripture devoted to a song where they would sing this over and over. And I think the reason that they have it in song format is so it's easy to remember and it's easy to recite over and over. This was something they celebrated forever. I mean, every Passover, they still celebrate the Exodus and would sing the song that was written there. Another example that I think is hysterical is when David won an incredible victory in battle because of the Lord's help. He celebrated so much that it not only embarrassed his wife, but it cost him his marriage. That's how excited he was about the Lord. He was so free, he was so just reckless in his worship that he danced in the streets. And now while I'm not saying that we should be so reckless in our worship that it costs our marriages, do you see the heart behind this? Do you see what happens when we thank the Lord the way that he should be thanked? Have you ever felt this level of thankfulness? Have you ever felt what it's like to have this otherworldly sense of profound gratitude to the Lord? I know when I first saw my wife walk down the aisle, I felt it. I thought, Lord, thank you for bringing this woman into my life. I could feel this otherworldly sense like there was no one else I could thank. There was no one else that made sense for me to say, praise you for this. I hadn't felt that before and the only other time I felt it was when I first looked into my daughter's eyes. When I first held her and I looked down into her, I felt this sense of thankfulness that transcends this world. Many of you probably feel the same way when you think of your spouse or you think about your children. Or maybe for some of you, you feel this profound sense of thankfulness when you experience God's creation. Or when you see the creative work he's inspired in someone else. There are parts of of Christian music, there are parts of poetry, art, song that can drive us to the sense of incredible thankfulness to the Lord. Now, each and every one of us on some level has felt this, I'm sure. And I wonder, it's interesting to me, I don't know how an atheist would handle these feelings. I don't. If anything, I've actually seen it used as as an apologetic, a way to have somebody who doesn't believe in God understand kind of what an otherworldly thing is. It was said once of a man uh, who was an atheist who had his child, when he looked down into that little baby's face, who do you think? When you feel this sense of incredible thankfulness, you feel this sense of otherworldly gratitude, there's no one to thank. Do you think the universe? Do you think science? If you're a Christian here today and you know the Lord, you know God, when you experience this, you actually have someone to thank. And I truly believe that that thankfulness is something that should drive us to the Lord. It's so different. It's so otherworldly that I believe that that is something God has put in us to drive us to him. I think that's why every time we see God show up in incredible ways in scripture, it always results in some form of worship, of thankfulness to him. And seriously, if you're a Christian and you haven't felt this sense of thankfulness in a long time, my friends, I remind you of the gospel. I remind you that you were so dead in your transgressions and sin that it took a supernatural act to wake you up, make you alive. And that the Lord Jesus did this not just through an act of will but through the death, through his own death and resurrection. And because of this, we have the sense of profound thankfulness. I am convicted often that I don't remember the gospel enough. And there are times where I find myself struggling with gratitude and it's like, God, you have done more for me than I could ever imagine and yet you continue to bless us. How do I not thank you daily. I mean, if you can't cultivate a sense of thankfulness from the gospel, my friends, you don't understand the gospel. And if you're not a Christian here today, if you don't understand what the Lord has done for you or you haven't accepted it yet, that's totally fine. We're so thankful you're here. But I want you to hear this truth, maybe for the first time, that the Lord came into this world not to condemn you, but to save you. And he did this not so it would, you know, just be a great thing or, or for some obligation. He did it simply because he loves you. Because he doesn't want you to stay in your sins and in your transgressions. I invite you, I entreat you to accept his offer of salvation. And then you too would know what it is to truly worship. You would know what it is to have extreme thankfulness and finally have somebody to direct that to. Finally have somebody to thank. I invite you to trust in him today. For those of us who are Christians who have been so for a long time, I understand that cultivating this heart of thankfulness can be difficult. Think about the world we live in right now. If you watch TV for any length of time, you'll realize that the world doesn't want us to be thankful. The world does not want us to be content. No, you watch an advertisement and it says, don't be content with what you have because the next one's here. You should be discontent with what you have because the next thing has come or it's coming. And it creates this perpetual cycle where we feel like more will never be enough. And we feel like this sense of thankfulness is incredibly difficult to cultivate. Maybe we'll say thank you when we're given a gift, but how often is it that a couple of days or even maybe if you're lucky a couple of months later, you're still as thankful for that gift as you were when you got it. And it's because this this world creates this in us. And as hard as it can be to believe, this happens with the gospel. I know people who have been led astray and led into false doctrine and been cast aside the, the truth for some new thing because they feel like the gospel is boring and they shouldn't be content with it. They should seek something else. Maybe God has a new revelation. Maybe God says something else. Instead of remembering what God has done and, and resting in his truth, this idea that more will never be enough, that even the gospel isn't enough, gets into their head. And they're cast or they're led astray. But I believe this That if you take a time, if you take effort to worship the Lord in thankfulness, to cultivate a heart of gratitude, and it's hard, seriously, this is something that I haven't even come close to grasping yet, and I've been working on, God has put gratitude in my mind for the better part of a year now. And it is difficult to constantly have that sense of gratitude in life. I get it, and I know how easy it is to be distracted by other things, but if you take the time to practice this heart of gratitude, What's amazing is you start to notice that God himself is the only thing that will satisfy. You'll start to notice that God himself created all of these other things, created us to find our source of worship in him and him alone. And everything else is either going to be a pale echo at best or a distraction or a false god at worst. And you will find that what you are worshiping cannot sustain what you're putting on it and God himself alone can. He created us to find our fulfillment and our joy in him, in him alone. And Now as we see that worship means a heart of thankfulness, I want to show another aspect. The fact that gratitude is one thing, but it's not all. It's not all of worship. If that were it, it would actually be enough. It would be enough for us to worship God for all eternity, but that's not even as much as the Lord has done for us. What we see next is that knowing God's truth also leads us to worship. Jumping ahead into the book of John, we see Jesus in chapter 4 talking with a Samaritan woman. And of all the things for the two of them to discuss while they're at the well, I find it interesting that Jesus talks about worship. He and the woman talk about worship. We see in verses 22 and 24, Jesus says this, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You see how Jesus repeats himself here. He repeats himself twice and I think that's to just make it abundantly clear. Here's how we worship the Lord. But what does that look like? What does it mean to worship the Lord in truth? What does it mean to worship the Father in truth? I believe truly that this means knowing who God is. What is he like? What is he commanded? What does he desire from us? I believe this is why we sit every week under the preached and proclaimed word of God in sermons. This is why we sing songs that have been like created and actually combed over to find ones that speak the truth of God. I'm so thankful for our worship team and our worship leaders who actually go through and take the time to make sure that the songs we sing are theologically accurate. There's a lot of weird songs out there. And I praise God that we have people who are discerning and are able to find songs that remind us of God's truth. This is also why theology is so important. Theology isn't just some dead academic exercise. This is knowing what you believe and why. This is relying on others who have studied this longer, who have become experts in certain fields and learning from them and allowing them to cultivate this heart of truth in us and worshiping God through it. I believe this is also why we're encouraged to read scripture daily and discuss it with others in our life groups. That's why we do those in church. We want you to gain this insight through community to sharpen one another. God doesn't want empty emotion, but he wants genuine love which stems from knowledge of truth. And he even shows us what this looks like early in the Bible. There's a passage that would have been repeated every day by the Jews of the time, and I think it still holds truth for us today. It's from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's known as the Shema. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now while some have actually taken this literally and will take pieces of paper with this passage written on them and store them in little boxes on their wrists and on their foreheads, And we'll actually write them on the doorposts of their house and on their gates. Interestingly, when we tore up the carpet in the commons and uh, changed all that out, I decided to take this literally as well and wrote the Shema in the doorpost. Not to have it be any kind of magic thing, but just because I wanted everything that happened in that room to be foundationally rooted in the word of God. And I think that's the thing here. God isn't calling us. It sounds kind of extreme for us to put the scripture of God on our foreheads and on our wrists. But I actually think God wants something greater. I think he wants something even more extreme. I believe the reason God puts it this way in Deuteronomy is because he wants everything we do, which is symbolized by our hands, every thought we have, which is symbolized by our forehead, to be saturated with the word of God. I believe even beyond that, he wants our homes to be saturated with the word of God. That's why he says to write it on the doorpost so that as soon as you walk in, you would know that this house stands on the foundation of the Lord. And even more so, how amazing would it be if this city was foundationally rooted on the word of God? I know we don't have city gates, but symbolically, what what an amazing thing it would be if when people walked into Spirit Lake, they said, this place is rooted in the word of the Lord. What would change? Take some time to dream about that this week. I think it would be amazing and I also believe that this is why in Revelation, when it says that the mark of the beast is on the hand and on the forehead, it doesn't have to do with a physical mark. I think it says that these are people who are so saturated by the beast that they, everything they do and everything they think is saturated by not the word of God, but the word of the world, by the word of evil. And it might be a physical mark, I don't know, but I, I see the parallelism here. And I see it so early on in Scripture that God wants everything we do, our entire lives, to be saturated with the truth of his word. And I think that's how we can worship him in truth. Now I know that it's going to be, this is really hard to do, and this is another area that's super convicting to me. Because there are times where I know that I should be within, I should be in the word of the Lord, I should be praying, I should be looking at God's truth, I should be worshiping him in truth, but it's so much easier to just check out, right? It's so much easier to say, you know, my mind is tired. Like I said, I'm the father of a newborn, so there's sometimes where all I want to do is just zone for like, hours and yet if, if you're like me or, or maybe how many of you have, have experienced this where you'll get on your favorite social media whatever it is Instagram Snapchat Facebook whatever and you start scrolling through and you keep scrolling and then you look at the clock and you notice that the only thing you have to show for it is a missed hour and you can't remember a thing you've read am I the only one who does that yeah a couple other people thank you for not leaving me alone up here um for those watching on the live stream, people in the congregation did raise their hands. Um, the I'm not just saying that. The idea, though, is that it's so easy for us to get distracted. I think distraction is one of Satan's main weapons against us. Because, seriously, how, it's, it, it's not hard for us to find time to read the word of the Lord, and yet there's so many things vying for our attention. I mean, how often have I sat down to try to read the word of the Lord or spend some time in prayer, and then all of a sudden my phone goes off? Where all of a sudden I forgot to turn the notifications off on my computer, an email pops up, and it is it is something that has become a discipline for me to have times. And again, I don't do this perfectly, but I want to share this with you to hopefully give you something you can do. That there are times where I will turn things off, or I'll put them on Do Not Disturb, and I will put everything away from me, just to find some time to spend in the Lord, just to find some time to spend with Him in silence. We don't live in a culture of silence. We don't live in a culture that would look too kindly on this. If anything, it says, no, you need more noise. And yet, I believe to worship the Lord in truth, we need to find time to spend with Him. Practically, I entreat you, take time each day to worship God in truth. This could be as simple as reading your Bible. And I'm not talking about taking giant chunks, I'm not saying you need to read an entire book. There are times where the Lord will have me in one verse for months because the Word of the Lord is so deep, it's so rich. Maybe this is as simple as listening to worship music, changing what you listen to. Maybe if you notice that you're not feeling worshipful for God in his truth, maybe it's because you're not listening to what the Lord has for you. Maybe it's so easy for us to get distracted. Get rid of apps on your phone that cause you nothing but distraction and don't bring you joy. I know that there are ways in different social medias to put scripture in there. I know there are ways to do that. I try to do that as well. I try to follow scripture so at least while I'm scrolling, sometimes God's word pops up but if you find that all it does is distract you, if if you find that you spend more time distracting yourself and checking out in social media than you do worshiping the Lord, then I would entreat you to make a change. And seriously, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to any of you. I just deleted a whole bunch of apps off my phone recently. Other things that you can do, listen to a sermon online. One of the reasons that we put up our sermons here at Crosswinds online is not just to reach people who may not be able to make it here on a Sunday morning, but to give you a library to go back to over and over. Maybe you're thinking, you know, a couple years ago we had a great sermon from First Peter. I want to I listen to that. Or I remember God speaking to me through this, this, one, this one sermon. Go back. Find it. Listen to it. Maybe it's as simple as talking with your friends. Maybe it's as simple as praying to the Lord. Just know that the more time you spend with God, the more you will see him everywhere and the more you will worship him in truth. I love how Philippians 4, 8 through 9 puts it. It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you guys, but I could use a lot more peace in life. I can use a lot more things that are true and honorable and just when I see so many things that are not in this world. So now that we've seen that worship is thankfulness, we've seen that worship is truth, there are a couple less obvious aspects that I want to talk about this morning. One interesting one that I've seen as I studied and as I looked through scripture is this, that sacrifice can lead to worship. Even sacrifice is a form of worship. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? Now, what does this mean? Are we therefore called to live a life of no pleasure by no means? Are we called to live a life where all we have in our, in our house is a chair and a Bible and that's it? No, I do not believe that is what God is saying here. I think that's why, honestly, as I was preparing this, we went through thankfulness and we went through truth first to see that the Lord does desire to bless you. He wants good things for you. But in that, he also calls you to sacrifice. He calls us to sacrifice. When um, He wants to give us life and life abundantly, but in so doing, he calls us to sacrifice some other things. Like when you sacrifice your own desires to give to someone else, that is an act of worship. When you die to sin and embrace Christ, this too is an act of worship. When you give sacrificially to the church or to other ministries, when you give your time, your talent, or your treasure to further God's kingdom, this too is an act of worship. Matthew six nineteen 19-21 says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be Also, my friends, when you sacrifice possessions for the kingdom of God, you are in fact storing up treasure in heaven. I love how Jim Elliott puts it. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Listen to that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But what about those times when it feels like you're sacrificing daily? What about those times when it feels like your joy has been sacrificed or it feels like your life, maybe even your very health, has been sacrificed and this wasn't of your own will? Maybe some of you are going through a time right now of extreme suffering and surely this cannot lead to worship too, right? Surely suffering cannot be something that points us to the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I experience suffering, I'm not instantly worshipful. There are times where I get angry at God. I get angry at my situation and I try to do everything I can to fix it and there's no way that I can have a heart of worship in the midst of suffering. But then I remember someone. I remember Job. How is it if suffering cannot lead us to confidently praise the Lord, how is it that Job does so in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1? We says that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I have come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I feel like Job exemplifies this heart of worship and seriously, as you read the book of Job, he doesn't do everything perfect. The Lord himself even has to come down and rebuke him on some areas, but I tell you what, he doesn't rebuke Job near as much as he rebuked his friends. And I tell you what too, Job handled this situation way better than I would have. I have no idea what I would do if I lost everything. If I lost all of my possessions, all of my family, if I lost even my own health, I confidently would, I couldn't say confidently that I would worship the Lord. I don't know, not being in the situation, they say it's hard to anticipate things without the Lord being there, but I just know how difficult it would be for me and I think you can sympathize. But I think it's amazing because as you look through the word, what God did is he, he gave Job this heart of worship. He gave him truth. He gave him kindness, even in the midst of his suffering. And he used all this to bring Job into a better standing with him and, and to un- make him understand just how powerful and how great the Lord is. I think this too, this life of worship, is also why Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 through 3 through 7 can say confidently, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so too, through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. If you're not a Christian, if you don't understand what a life of worship is like, these two passages don't make any sense. It would be impossible to figure out how these two things could exist in the same person or in the same situation. And even as a Christian, I understand that it is very difficult when experiencing affliction to feel comfort, when experiencing loss to feel joy. And yet, as Christians, there's worship even in our suffering. And I want you to know, Paul wasn't just talking about monetary setbacks or, or mild difficulties. He wasn't experiencing the kind of persecution I've heard some new Christians experience when they are very out, you know, they're outspoken about their faith and then they find out that, like, the barista at Starbucks forgot to put an extra pump in their latte and they're like, oh no, this is persecution. Like, this is, this is true persecution. This is true Difficulty. No joke, that's not fun when they do that, but it's not because they're persecuting you. Um, he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 10, as he continues, he says this, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I've sympathized. I think some of us have sympathized as well. You know what this is like. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But I love what he says here. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Do you see what a life of worship looks like? Do you see it exemplified in so many people in scripture? And this doesn't even scratch the surface of what the Bible shows us in life of worship. But I believe that all of this is why we must be reminded that worship is not something we do, it is a life we lead. Worship is not something we do, it's really who we are. So what about you? What about you today? How are you living a life of worship? Are you one right now who is experiencing a time of incredible blessing and thankfulness? Remember the God that blesses you and worship him in celebration. How often do we experience incredible times of thankfulness and instead of bringing it to the Lord, we wait until something goes wrong and then we go to God. If you're experiencing incredible blessing and thankfulness, bring it to the Lord. Worship him. Celebrate what he has done for you. Are you one who has been convinced of the truth of God? Do you understand who he is, what he is like, and what he has done for you? Then my friends, worship him by getting to know him more, sharing this truth with others, strengthening one another. Find people who you can talk to about these things. Talk about them with your family. Talk about them in the city gates. Talk about them with whoever will listen. Maybe you're experiencing a time of great sacrifice or suffering right now. I entreat you, worship God in how you endure. I know that doesn't sound right now, but sometimes that's all you can do. Worship God in how you endure. See how he sustains you. Find him in it. And know that on the other side of suffering, you will see incredible evidence of his working. Talk to anyone who has suffered and is now on the other side of it. They'll say they look back and they see how God worked, even when they thought he was silent. Ultimately, as a Christian, as those of us saved from our sins by the precious blood of Christ, who knows very well what it is to worship the Lord in sacrifice and suffering, Remember that because of his blood, because of his work, because of our faith in him, all of our lives can be worship to Lord. Every aspect of your life can be worship. Go and worship him this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that we can worship you. Lord, that you have created each and every one of us to worship. And Lord, while I confess that there have been times where I have worshipped other things, lesser things, things that are minor echoes of your work or even distractions and false idols, God, I pray that you would forgive us for doing that and that you would remind us of the source of great worship. That God, we would worship you in fullness and in truth, in thankfulness, and even in our sacrifice and suffering. That God, you would show up in amazing ways in our lives and that we would have stories to tell one another. Cultivate in us a heart of worship. May our lives be worshiped to you, God, in everything we do, in every aspect of our lives, Lord. May you be with us even this week. Give us opportunities to worship you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.